What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eclectic Athlete Radio. I'm your host, Jules DeMay, and I just want to thank you guys again for tuning in and listening. Um, I've been busy, busy, busy this summer, um, and I have a few different life updates to share with you guys. First of all, um, I just took my certified strength and conditioning specialist exam. That's a mouthful. Um, and I passed and I, I'm really excited. You know, I, I've been studying for that for, you know, really, you know, over the past year and I've been getting more serious. I finally was like, all right, I need to set a date. I need to buckle down. Um, so, you know, I finally decided about, you know, a few months ago when to, when to pick the exam date. But anyway, I've been studying for a, studying for it for a while, been carrying around that textbook, you know, any chance I got throughout the day, been reading. Um, so it's, it's a weird little journey, um, but it's just starting. So I, I'm just excited to get that under, under my belt. Um, and for those of you who don't know, that basically is a certification if you want to work with um, collegiate level athletes or, or pros or whatever. You know, it's kind of the prerequisite getting your CSCS. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Uh, number two, uh, I'm starting a master's program, and that's going to be at San Jose State in kinesiology. Um, previously, I had decided on St. Mary's, but, you know, I made a switch. You know, it just didn't feel right to me. Um, I felt like I had better opportunities at, at San Jose State, um, and I'm just really excited. So um, starting in August, mid-August, I'll be interning with San Jose State, uh, the, the strength and conditioning team, um, and I'll be taking classes. So starting a new chapter and you know i'm excited to take you guys along i'll still be continuing to podcast you know once i get my schedule down definitely it's going to take some time um but hopefully that'll open up some new doors for me to interview um, more and more people in the industry and, and bring that content to you guys but anyway getting on to today's podcast i interviewed uh, miles who is a friend of mine and he is a movement specialist in, in Davis, California. You know, he works with all types of people, um, particularly people who are in pain, you know, chronic pain, coming off of injuries, coming off of surgeries. And, you know, he's a really, really bright guy um, bringing attention to, you know, going away from the fads of just doing certain modalities, right? Some people like to go to chiropractors or just go to cryo or just get acupuncture. And those are all great things. They all have a place or a good place in, in a, an optimal recovery regimen, but he kind of puts it all together and he addresses the root cause of pain. Um, today we talk about, you know, addressing tightness and, you know, should you actually stretch um, the difference between mobility and stability, uh, we talk about, again, different modalities. We talk about um, just all types of things. So stay tuned. This is a great episode. If you are in pain, if you are wanting to get better at moving in general, this is the episode for you. So stay tuned and thanks. Yeah, so essentially um, started as a trainer. So um, if we kind of, you know, take it a step back before that, you know, I just kind of had the classic story of, you know, growing up into athletics, I played soccer, um, you know, I'd always, you know, been into working out, into performance, into fitness, um, and kind of maximizing what I could do with my body. As I 
went into school, I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. I think that's a similar story to what you had. And mm-hmm. uh, essentially kind of got sidetracked from that and ended up with a nutrition degree. So I went to Cal Poly, got a bachelor's in nutrition. While I was in school, I got a you know certification as a personal trainer and was working with clients, you know, not too many, a few couple times a week, just kind of, you know, helping people with their fitness goals. Uh, when I left school, I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And you know, I wasn't sure if, if fitness and, and, you know, that whole, that whole thing would be a, a career for me. And I actually considered going into the restaurant industry, having that nutrition background and kind of bringing some kind of healthy, you know, food to, to the industry. But after working in a restaurant, it was pretty clear to me. I did not want to do that. It was so much work. You're on your feet all day. It was, you know, pretty, pretty awful. It was nothing about cooking food. <laughs> cooking healthy food. It was all about the production and that just wasn't for me. So, um, I got back into personal training and as I was working with people and I you know, started to build, build a clientele, I started to notice, you know, everybody's got something wrong with their body or some kind of ache or pain or some type of limitation that is preventing them from, you know, getting to where they want to be, you know, for whatever goals they have, whether that be fitness or performance or just lifestyle, right. Just to be able to do the things they want to do. Um, so I, you know, kind of typically as a trainer and how, you know, how I had seen the industry develop and kind of my thoughts for, okay, you know, if your shoulder is hurting, let's say, let's maybe avoid the shoulder presses today. Let's avoid, you know, doing work with the arm. Let's, you know, maybe stick to some core, some lower body things, um, and, you know, let the shoulder rest in a way and let's just kind of work around it. Or maybe you go and you, you see somebody, you know, special to kind of fix that. And that, kind of bothered me. And I got to the point where I was like, you know, I really don't want my training to be breaking people down. I want to be building them up. And is there a way that I can help people fix these little aches and pains? Because to be honest, a lot of people don't know what to do with them. They don't know who to go to. They don't know um, if that's something they can fix on their own or they should be fixing on their own or or things that they can do uh, to start to improve those things. So that's kind of what, what sparked my journey of, you know, how can I help people with, um, you know, improving, improving their, their health and fitness, but in specific in relation to, uh, pain. So that got the wheels turning. I got connected with a few chiropractors in the area that essentially needed help with their manual therapies on their clients, uh, to have more of a retraining component to what they do. So giving them some extra, uh, work to kind of fix more root cause things rather than to just correct symptoms. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, how I got there and, you know, took a lot of continuing education courses to, to learn more and more, um, you know, name a few started with FMS. So if any of your viewers are, are familiar with that, that was a big stepping stone to just kind of like open the, you know, really just open my eyes into how movement works. That mm-hmm. was cool, but it definitely wasn't an end all be all, you know, I knew I needed more. That was just one screening system. So, uh, you know, kind of continued on to learn SFMA, which is their clinical side of things. Um, I've done the TPI or Titles Performance uh, Institute courses. I've done um, Rock Tape courses. I've done all the Rock Tape courses. Um, FRC, right? So a bunch of just systems. These are all just systems of understanding how the human body moves and systems of mm-hmm. helping will improve how the human body moves and kind of what I do now is a, is a combo of it all. So I kind of, you know, take bits and pieces of things that I thought worked well from each system and I'm able to apply them depending on what, you know, my client is needing. That's really cool. I think, uh, you know, you and I are really similar in that, you know, you 
really investing yourself and expanding your knowledge base, you know, and for me, I want to serve my clients. I also want to improve as an athlete and as just a person, right? I want to, you know, be able to move more efficiently, move properly. And then subsequently, you know, my performance will improve. So I want to help educate others to do the same. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important to do those continuing education courses so that we, like you mentioned, you know, they're all just different systems, right? They're just different tools that you can add to your toolbox. Um, so that said, what's kind of your, what are some of your movement philosophies um, that you've taken from all these different um, courses you've taken? Yeah, I'd say, you know, I'd say a big one. And actually, it was funny, you kind of posted about it on Instagram yesterday, I think. But yeah. a, a big thing that I was, you know, just confused about coming you know, learning all this stuff was like, what is proper movement? Mm -hmm. And I thought there was this ideal of like, okay, you know, a squat should look like this perfect shape, you know, and you have all the perfect mm -hmm. angles at your joints and, you know, lunge should look like this or whatever it is. Bench press should look like this. And, um, you know, probably the biggest thing and the biggest thing that, you know, kind of this underlying drive of the work I do and that I try to, to, you know, portray to people is that there is no perfect movement. There is no perfect way to do something. Um, but we should be able to control always, and we should have some variability in how we move because that's how life is. Right. So, mm -hmm. so time, like you go to the gym, like going to the gym and traditional exercise or whatever you want to call that is like maybe the only time in life that we do things perfectly symmetrically. Like we, we right. bell, right. And we just say, perfect amount of weight on both sides. We stand right in the middle, we get our form all set up and, th and then we lift the barbell on a deadlift or whatever you're doing. And it just, it's not applicable. It's not, I mean, it's semi applicable, but it's not as applicable mm -hmm. as if that barbell was slightly off center or slightly offloaded in terms of the weight. Right. Um, cause that's much more like the things that you're going to experience in your life. So, so I guess that's a big, you know, big philosophy of mine is, you know, nothing, no movement is perfect. No movement is bad, but we should really be able to control all movement. Mm -hmm. So I want to touch on that because, um, you know, like you mentioned, you know, growing up, I have always also had this kind of mentality of, all right, I want to make sure when you squat, your knees don't go past your toes and right, you want to have your feet, you know, parallel, you know, now outside of hip width. And it's really funny. The more, the more I learn, the more that I have kind of flexibility with, um, those parameters, if that makes sense. So, you know, clients will ask me, oh, you know, am I doing this right? You know, is my, are my feet correct? Is, you know, is my posture good? And I'm like, yeah, no, it's good. You know, <laughs> it's funny because I'm not as strict anymore because again, I, I feel like there's no one right way to do things, right? Like you should be able to squat with your feet together. You should be able to squat with your feet out wide. Same thing with pressing. Like I was doing these presses where it's kind of like you're, you know, I pivoted on one leg, pressed, pressed arm up and it kind of pressed at an angle. And someone came up to me and asked me like, Oh, what, what is that? You know, what's that targeting? And I was like, Oh no, that's just a different way of pressing. You know, like why do we always military press, you know, forward and back or, you know, whatever it is, right. We're always doing these motions in sagittal planes and in one direction. It's like life doesn't happen that way. You know, like we're always on one foot, you know, walking is a, you know, is a unilateral 
thing, you know, we're towing off and then, you know, hip extension and reaching for something. It's, you know, we don't reach with two arms. Usually it's reaching down with one. And so it's just really interesting. Yeah, totally. And, And I think a lot of that, and just how I grew up working out in general was, isolations like i'm trying to like mm-hmm. isolate my bicep to make it grow and uh, i was like as with a lot of people one of my big motivations early on to work out was to look good like just mm-hmm. put that out in the open like that's why a lot of people yeah right and so that is an aspect and you want the muscles to grow but but we don't necessarily in my mind isolating isolating a muscle kind of sets us up for failure in a way of function because mm-hmm truly aren't. And even when you're isolating that muscle, you, you aren't actually isolating that muscle. You're using a lot of other things in conjunction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way, you know, human life really works is like you are never just sitting there and doing a pure, you know, bicep curl. There's always some other action, some other, you know, stability point mm-hmm. that needs to be working. Um, and I think that, I think that there's just the mindset of, you know, I kind of call it traditional exercise is a little bit off in that regard. It's like, how can we target a specific muscle when we should be thinking, how can we, you know, target a specific movement and how can we be more variable with that movement? You can mm-hmm. make the muscles work and you can still hypertrophy, you still get big, strong muscles, but you don't mm-hmm. just completely isolate all the time. Right. Yeah, definitely. So what about, um, Actually, you know, just to touch on that again, that's kind of why I really took a liking to, you know, work with steel maces a lot now and kettlebells and things like that. So, you know, these are all kind of offset um, loads and, you know, kind of dynamic loads that are constantly changing. Um, not to say that, you know, they're better than any other form of exercise, but, you know, it's it's really it's really funny, like growing up it, it was all about like all right how, how big can i get my chest i want a big back i want a big biceps and now it's like eh, those things are nice but you know it's not necessarily functional in the sense that you know your body doesn't necessarily benefit from just overloading those muscles all the time and just moving in those in those same patterns over and over again um yeah so what about um you know i you mentioned earlier addressing symptoms and i think that's a big a big issue in not only physical therapy but just medical and our medical system in general um how do you address um working with symptoms right like i think a lot of times you know people have knee pain and they're like i need to work on my knee um what's your philosophy around around working with pain and things like that yeah. So, so, I mean, that's basically what I do in my day to day is, is mm-hmm. clients come to me, um, and they're usually more chronic issues. I, I don't deal with like, you know, if somebody tore an ACL or have a acute event, but mm-hmm. you know, if you have, yeah, your knee hurts, right? Your knee hurts. You know, every time you do a squat, your knee kind of bothers you. If you do 20 squats, it kind of bothers you, right? Mm-hmm. So, so my philosophy with pain is that you need to, and I actually, I heard a great analogy the other day, so I'm going to use this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia Ramos from uh, the massage student, Davis, um, actually, I took a class with her the other day. She oh, cool. this, and she said, basically, pain is like you're on, you're, you're in kindergarten or first grade, and you're at recess, right? And you're playing on the playground. And there's a bully, and the bully is picking on a kid. And let's say the bully pushes that kid down. The kid's crying. He's in distress. You, as the teacher, 
could go and console the child, which you should make them feel better, right? And make them mm-hmm. feel you know comfortable and 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 you know pain in a way. We're going to use that kid as as the pain um, uh, kind of analogy. So we could do that. We could help. We could help that symptom. But really, what caused that distress was the bully, right? Mm-hmm. So, we should be nice to to the symptom. We should be nice to the pain. We should try to reduce the pain, but mm-hmm. we should then go after the bully and we should address the bully and let that bully know that that um, you know those actions aren't okay. And that's kind of what you're doing with your body, right? So you are mm-hmm. you're addressing symptoms. If your knee hurts, you should help the knee. You should do some nice things to the knee. That could be massage. That could be you know voodoo flossing. That could be. Um, whatever it might be, cryotherapy, acupuncture, you know, all there's so many modalities that help mm-hmm. the symptoms. Um, but if that's all we're doing, you shouldn't be surprised that the bullet comes back and that, the, right. you know, the parts of the body that aren't doing their job are going to continue to not do their job and continue to give you symptoms over time. So that's kind of my philosophy is, is be nice to the pain, put out the pain fire, uh, make things feel good. But then you have to understand what is going wrong at somewhere else in the body that most likely that that needs to be improved upon so that you can be out of pain for the long term. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, identifying the underlying root cause of the pain. Right. So, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, and I worked in physical therapy clinics for a while. A lot of people go, you know, they just want the ice and they want the stem and they want the ultrasound, you know, and it feels good. But at the same time, it's like, well, if those things were working, why do you need to continuously come back? Right. What, what are you doing to address the, the cause instead of just the symptoms, right? If your knee is always aggravated, you know, putting ice on it will, you know, reduce that pain, but why is it aggravated, you know? And so that's why, you know, actually I, I just broke my ankle or my foot and, uh, I'm not a big fan of, of taking pain meds. And my mom's like, you know, it's going to make you feel better. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if I'm walking on it and the pain is numbed and I'm actually doing more, uh, harm than, than good, then that's not a good thing. Right. Even though I don't feel pain. So not that I'm walking on it a lot, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of a, it's balance. It's balance for sure. It's, it's understanding. And, and a lot of this, uh, that I like to, you know, educate people on is being driven by the nervous system. So mm-hmm. if you are, you know, like we'll use the knee as an example again. So if the knee is, is hurting, there are a lot of reasons why the knee might hurt. Uh, I, you know, find that there's this concept called cortical smudging that, that okay. can be a big deal where essentially, uh, your brain's mapping of your body isn't quite flush. It's not quite, if your brain had a picture of your body, it might be a little blurry in that area where you have pain. And essentially your nervous system, um, is not sensing well. It's not, it's not understanding. It's not, it doesn't have good awareness in that area. And oftentimes you can feel that sensation with pain. Mm-hmm. That's actually how phantom limbs work. So if you mm. lose a limb, right, you, your brain sort of knew something was there and it can fill that void that's no longer there with, with pain. And one mm. way that they can help to, you know, improve somebody's pain, you know, symptoms with phantom limb pain is by manipulating mirrors and actually kind of helping them see a leg where their leg used to be. And that can help their oh, brain wow. shut off that response. So so that's you know one kind of interesting cool way that that I have 
you know, worked with pain symptoms, uh, not with phantom limbs specifically, but using that same concept with, you know, somebody's uh, pain. And the other thing is sometimes that area is just the area that's being stressed. It's the area that's being stressed too much because other, other things aren't doing their job. And that can also mm-hmm. be related to that whole concept of cortical smudging. If that area is being stressed, we might not understand the areas, that area and the area around it to a mm-hmm. point we can really utilize the body in a way to take stress off that area. So, you know, the knee, oftentimes we're looking at the foot and the hip and the core as, you know, are those places doing their job to mm-hmm. reduce the pain? So, but, but I guess what I was getting at with that is, is the nervous system, right? The nervous system is, it's kind of king of all this. If there is no nervous system, there is no brain. You don't feel pain regardless of all the, the physical damage that could be there, right? You could have you know, severe uh, tissue damage in that knee. You could have, you know, an arthritic knee and we like to throw out all these terms of essentially what they mean, what arthritis means aside from, you know, the genetic, you know, factors with that is that we've been using the knee poorly for a long time. It's inflamed. Mm-hmm. The, the tissue is starting to, to degrade, but regardless, if the nervous system wasn't there. We wouldn't, we wouldn't feel pain. We wouldn't sense that. So if you really want to make it feel nicer, we have to do something nice to the nervous system. That's what a lot of the techniques that I use these days really revolve around is, is the nervous system. Okay. That's interesting. So you mentioned that, for example, you have knee pain. It could be an issue somewhere else. Um, so I want to really kind of dive into that, that concept of the nervous system. Um, what kind of techniques do you use to, I guess, um, would it be more so to stimulate that area or is it more of that pain, um, inhibition that you, that you utilize? Yeah. So it, it kind of depends. And, and the cool thing about it is almost all the techniques that are out there can kind of work in, they're all, a lot of them are mostly working on the nervous system. Mm-hmm. So in, in a good, like good thing to know is that any haptic technique, any touch on the skin, whether that be massage or, or even acupuncture or cupping or anything like that, um, kinesiology taping, right? Anytime you're touching the skin, a part of that treatment is getting in touch with the nervous system is, mm-hmm. is giving a different input to your brain so that your brain can analyze it differently and understand sort understand the area a little differently so it really you know what i do with a client kind of depends on the assessment and what i'm mm-hmm. thinking kind of the, the issues or the root causes are but oftentimes a lot of the treatments end up working that's why that's why a lot of times or that's why there are so many things on the market right there's so many options mm-hmm. to go get pain relief because almost all of them work and all at least for someone at some time they have all worked right and that's mm-hmm. A thing. That's why there are businesses that um, can sustain themselves doing this because they do offer that um, that unique input. I think my issue with the whole the whole system is that sometimes we describe it poorly. We kind of describe these things as um, you know maybe necessary in, in a way that they're not, or maybe we're describing things that like massage, for instance. I hear it all the time of like breaking up tissue or breaking up muscle knots, and it's really not the case. We're actually changing the input to the nervous system, we're getting some relaxation or calming, calming effect of the nervous system in that area that helps to decrease the neural tone of that. Mm. So, and anyway, it's, it's, it's kind of a, 
a different way of thinking. It's like all these things work, but it's a different way of thinking about it. And I think that thinking about it differently can really help a lot of people uh, get better and understand that they can do things on their own to get better and they don't need to rely on a provider um, in a way, even though the provider can help them, right? You can always help them. Go get a massage if you need it, right? But you don't need necessarily a weekly massage because that's Mm -hmm. what's you out of pain, right? Moving well is going to keep you out of pain. Different inputs to the brain are going to keep you out of pain. That's awesome. Yeah. That just goes back to, you know, the modalities and how everyone loves them because they will reduce the pain. But again, it's kind of like, well, what are you doing after that, you know, and, and why are these things working? So I think that's, and that speaks, you know, volumes to how, how incredible the human body is, you know, just like you mentioned, just a touch on the skin makes a big difference, right? We have all these receptors in our skin. Um, and that's also why I'm a, I'm an advocate for more of like that barefoot training and minimalist type shoes, because I mean, we have so many receptors on our feet, right? When we, you know, cavemen back in the day, they didn't have a shoe, you know, really padded shoes to walk around in if they stepped on something hard they knew all right let me not step on that right so those are kind of our guides walking around like okay this is what i can step on this is what i can't but you know at the same time it just gives our body so much feedback and resiliency so um yeah it's kind of a tangent but that's <laughs> uh, really cool with you on that if you see me any any day in my in my studio or i teach uh, some classes over at the, the fit house as well I'm like always barefoot and yeah. why are you barefoot? I used to like, I used to, there was kind of a trend maybe before I knew much about it of like, or it was maybe a hippie thing, right? Where people were walking around. Barefoot. <laughs> I used to always call, kind of think those people were a little crazy, you know, like what the hell are they doing? So, but now it's like, I kind of understand the whys maybe behind it. And you're right. If you think of it this way, right? If touching your skin is so important and we spend a lot of our life on our feet, right? We're, you know, lay down a night to sleep, but for the most part during the day, we're essentially standing, walking, sitting, we're doing something along those lines. Your feet are constantly in contact with the ground. And they're, they're one of the only things that's almost always touching the ground. So mm-hmm. that's where you're getting a lot of your feedback for your environment. And that's how your brain is sensing and understanding things and making sense of things. So you're right. I mean, this, you know, going, going, I don't want to advocate everybody just go barefoot, right? Cause that's right. Like, tangent we got to go down of, of how you can transition to that but but just to, to understand the concept of how important touch is on your skin and and you know how important the feet can be yeah yeah definitely i don't advocate for people just to like go run a, a few miles on on the concrete barefoot that would be a disaster your arches would be hurting for days and uh you definitely have to transition over to that you know it took me a while uh one little thing i do nowadays if i don't wear shoes that are more minimalistic i'll like take out the insoles so it'll kind of remove just a small layer but that's that's kind of a little hack i use uh, when i'm not wearing those thin soled shoes but um Going off of that, so I want to go back to um, kind of pain and dysfunction, right? So dysfunctional movement patterns. Um, and, you know, we talked about the nervous system's role in pain and reducing pain through different modalities. But what about the concept of mobility versus stability? And how, well, what's the nervous system's role in that and um, the interplay with pain and, and stuff like that? Yeah, so... So mobility and stability, if you aren't kind of up to date on those topics, but I like to uh, describe to my clients how all human movement requires passive range of motion at specific joints, right? 
meaning that if all forces were taken off of that joint, gravity, right, every other force, no external load, right, anything like that, and, and let's say somebody else moved that limb around, like your coach or your client moved that limb around, it would have a specific capacity of motion. It could move a certain amount until let's say there is some soft tissue restriction that was holding it back or a joint restriction or, or something, some anatomical thing that, that was limiting that joint's range. So I'd call that, call that mobility. And that's, you know, unfortunately it's one of those terms that's kind of loosely used in the, in the industry. And, and mm-hmm. maybe I prefer passive range of motion as a better term for that. Um, and then stability is kind of a bigger blanket. It's, I would maybe go a step above that and have this big term called motor control and motor control. Essentially we're thinking brain body connection or, or nervous system. We're thinking nerves, right? So if the joint has a passive range of motion, it can move without, you know, external forces acting on it. Just, just your, well, I guess, you know, the client moving it or the the coach moving it would Mm -hmm. be external force, but, but, the body, the human that was that was being applied to, didn't need to do anything. It didn't need to stabilize anything. Um, that would be your passive range, and then the active range is how that individual could control it on their own, right? Can they move that joint? If you have, you know, this big circle. I'm making a circle with my hand. You probably I'm, I'm <laughs> see in the see, but if you have, imagine you draw a big circle, right? And that's your joint's right passive range of motion. It's the capacity that it could could move. Move if you could move it that way. Usually, somebody's active range is going to be inside of that somewhere. It's definitely not going to be outside of that. It's impossible, right? Um, but it's going to be a smaller circle. And oftentimes it's a really small circle compared to what we think. So our goal as coaches, at least in what I do is, can we make that active range, that circle a little closer to what the passive range circle is? And can we control all those positions in the joint on our own? So that's kind of a quick breakdown of what you know, mobility or passive range of motion and stability or, or motor control, you know, kind of describes. So, and that's, that's, I guess I kind of hit the nail on the head there. Like that's, that's sort of what, what we do is we, we try to improve somebody's now, if somebody's passive range is restricted and they, the joint doesn't move, we need to be able to mobilize that. And that's where all your mobility techniques come in. That's, you know, classic stretching, right? Foam rolling, things like that um, can create, you know, can help to open up some of that range and then the active control we need to work on brain body connections we need to be able to you know understand give your brain again some better input to be able to control the joint through those ranges of motion okay uh, definitely so just to, just to clarify real quick um essentially mobility is correlated to passive range of motion so if you lifted your left arm and it only went to um or sorry if someone else else lifted your left arm it only went to let's say shoulder level that's your passive range and if you lifted your your right arm or someone else lifted your right arm and it went all the way above your head that's your passive range so obviously there's a kind of a disconnect between the two arms um and the active range or active um well the stability component is more correlated to active um range where you could lift it yourself to that to meet the passive is that is that accurate you got it yeah you got it and so so the reasons right that maybe you you couldn't like let's say that you know passively somebody could lift your arm over your head but actively you could not do that Mm -hmm. 
a lot of people might initially go strength, right? They need more strength. Like they just don't have the power, the, the capability, the force to be able to lift that arm up. And that may be the case in a sense, but I always take it, I always, you know, peel back one more layer of the onion and say, okay, if there is no strength there, we likely have poor neural engagement there. We likely are in, you know, unable to recruit motor units there to have, you know, good connection to that, to those muscles that, you know, create the action. And if we don't have that, we can't have good strength. There, there's no way that we're using the muscle a lot and well, if we can't get it to engage. So, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, something with a lot of my clients that I have to kind of break into that thought process. Okay. We need to do a little more like neural activation thing. We need to get your brain in touch with the area a little better so that you can build the strength because otherwise if I just give you, you know, shoulder press exercises, you're never going to use the right muscles because they aren't engaging mm-hmm. in the first place. The other reason that, you know, th- that I've seen that things will, you know, stiffen up, let's say you're, you're, uh, your passive range is, is this so much and your active range is less, right? You can't get the arm up, uh, when it could go is from a safety perspective. So sometimes your brain shuts you down because it doesn't feel safe with what you're doing or it doesn't feel in control. I actually had a post on my Instagram today kind of demonstrating that. I don't know if you saw it, but it was, it was about hamstring tightness and how a lot of us have, you know, we feel, we sense very tight hamstrings and we think we need to stretch. So if you're one of those people that stretches all the time, stretches your hamstrings and you just don't seem to make it anywhere, they just never get better. You might have more of a stability issue. You might need to improve the input to your brain to give it more awareness so that it can open up that range. Cause it's not a true passive restriction at that point. It's that your brain is tightening down. It's using, using neurological tone to hold your muscles tighter because it doesn't trust that motion that you're trying to do. So the, the technique that I had on my Instagram was just rolling a ball under the foot and to improve kind of heighten the awareness under the foot, all that fascia connects in up the posterior chain through the hamstrings, right? Just rolling the ball on the foot for about 30 seconds and then repeating a toe touch. Oftentimes you'll see people improve pretty drastically or the sensation, like the, the pain or the stretch isn't quite as severe after they do that. And that's, you know, something that they couldn't accomplish as well from stretching. So, and it, it takes a short amount of time. People just think they need to stretch, stretch, stretch sometimes, right? Sometimes that's beneficial. Sometimes you need a different input. You need more of that stability component of things. So the brain feels safe. What, um, what was the reason for putting the ball under the foot? So the, the, if you look at the fascial connections, from like the toes, you can kind of draw them all the way up the back of the leg, up through the hamstrings, up through the back, all the way up. I think even attached to like the eyebrow, right? You have these really long fascial lines. And fascia is, is way more kind of active than we previously thought. There are nerve endings in the fascia and um, potentially even some contractile potential in that fascia too. Mm. So essentially putting the ball under the foot and, and kind of moving it around really quickly it heightens what are called Pacinian corpuscles and they're kind of your excitatory uh, nerve endings. And those oftentimes are the ones that aren't really aware of the situation, but what they're doing is they're providing input to your brain. They're sending a message and your brain is perceiving and going, okay, I understand what's happening there. And I get that, that, you know, part of my body and through those fascial lines, sometimes you can get some decrease of tone and, 
as you then go and repeat your toe touch, you no longer feel that same pulling because the pulling was a symptom. Remember, the pulling was a symptom of, of instability or unsafety and your brain tautened down with, with the nervous system. So by providing the input to the foot, you get kind of this relaxation or awareness. It's not, not really a relaxation. It's almost a heightened awareness of what's happening that takes that symptom away. It allows your, your movement to occur uh, without feeling like it needs to protect you. That's pretty fascinating. I mean, that's something we learned in um, NKT, so neuro, uh, neurokinetic therapy, yeah. is that you know, you don't always need to stretch a muscle. And we see the same thing with, you know, tight hip flexors, right? We hear, all right, if you, you know, if you're, you have low back pain, you know, that could be correlated to tight hip flexors. Well, that is true, but you don't necessarily always need to stretch your hip flexors, right? So a tight muscle isn't, you know, there's a reason why it's tight, right? And it's not always that it needs to be stretched. Um, you know, another thing we learn is that, you know, stretching a tight muscle sometimes can make it worse. So, you know, there's, uh, I'm assuming there's that reason why you didn't stretch or try to, you know, put the ball under the hamstring and instead you put it underneath the foot. So that's kind of a similar um, thought process there where, again, that hamstring is tight for a reason. It could be weak. It could need more of that stimulation, whatever the case may be. You don't always just need to, to stretch it. So I think that's a, a paradigm that we really need to get away from. Um, especially, I mean, we see even in, you know, physical therapy clinics, right? It's like, oh, you have, this is tight. Okay, just do the stretch, 30 seconds, two minutes, whatever. All right, you're good, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that, the, I guess, the important to note too is that stretching also, it's providing different cues to your nervous system. So it can kind of work in the same way. But the problem with stretching, you know, stretching something that's already that's that's not uh, it's not passively restricted, right? It's actively restricted. If you stretch it, you can still potentially give your brain different input that will allow that temporary increase in range of motion. So you feel better when you stretch, and you feel more mobile when that's the case. But if that's all you do, and then you don't provide better better stability to the system, you will probably never get more mobile. You will just wake up the next day and you'll be just as tight. Or a couple hours later, you'll be just as tight, right? So, so if you're gonna, you know, if you think that's you, or you know, really, you should kind of go get assessed and and you know, see if that is the case with with your body. Um, but if that's you, if you stretch and then you follow it up with with some drills and work on, you know, if it's we're talking about hamstrings and a toe touch, if you go and you maybe squeeze a ball in between your knees or a block yoga block in between your knees and work on your breathing and your core stabilization as you're doing those toe touches, that is where you're going to get more bang for your buck, and that's where things are actually going to start to stick because you get you know these cues to start getting the the, the nervous system to engage all the muscles better that provides stability, and, and that's your really your long term fix. Yeah, and I think that goes back to you know our original kind of opening topic of there's no bad movements, right? But there's, I think they're just movements that we do too often, right? And we don't have awareness of, oh, I'm doing this all the time, you know? So again, it's not that necessarily you're doing something incorrectly. It's, well, what are the consequences of that movement? Are you, you know, keeping everything in balance? Um, but I wanted to actually ask you a question. Um, so you mentioned if you had a an active restriction in a shoulder, you wouldn't necessarily just give someone a shoulder press to do. Now, is it possible that you can still have 
a big muscle that's not necessarily strong. So I think we correlate, you know, large, you know, cross-sectional area of a muscle, right? Big muscles with it being really strong. But I find, well, I guess I'm asking you, uh, is it possible that that muscle is, is still weak or still have a, an, an active restriction? Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. The, the size of the muscle doesn't necessarily correlate to its efficiency being used, right? And mm. the efficiency being used is more about how we can recruit motor units um, that are, you know, attaching into that muscle. And that is like neural, right? That is more so the nervous system that is being, that is controlling that. So what I find like if, you know, I wouldn't, you know, somebody had an active, you know, range of motion issue in the shoulder and we just prescribe them with shoulder uh, presses, let's say, is that the body is really good at compensating. They're probably going to find a way to do that movement. My thing is they're probably going to do that movement maybe with muscles that have learned to compensate to create that that motion, that task. And oftentimes it's, it's small. It's hard to see. It's not like, okay, they're completely changing the angle of everything to, to make it happen. But there are these little minute changes and, and maybe you know supportive or muscles that – you know, aren't necessarily the prime mover, they, they maybe are working more right? and they're starting to do more work because that, that prime mover wasn't doing a good job. One area in the body I see this a lot is the glutes, like people, people, um, at least that I work with, and I work with a lot of people in pain. So maybe this is a big correlation, but most people I see have really poor connection with their glutes and the glutes are, you know, I don't know about the stats, but you know, you hear about, they're like one of the strongest muscles in your body, right? And maybe the tongue, right? I've heard that too, right? But mm-hmm. the glutes are one of the most important and strongest muscles in your body. And from, from your question, you know, cross-sectionally, they're a big muscle. They should be doing a lot of work throughout our day. And they, and a lot of people, they, they really aren't. And where that comes down to is, um, core stability, being able to have stability at the core, which creates a nice solid foundation for those glutes to pull off of. That allows you to use the glutes more efficiently. If we, you know, peel back the layer of the onion one more time, we also have to say, hey, we need good control. We need good recruitment of motor units to that muscle as well, and that's you know going to come from everything else functioning well. So, so yes, one hundred percent. If you have a big muscle, it doesn't mean it's being used efficiently. It's just kind of the, the physiology of how that, you know, how we adapted or whatever, how how we. Um, that's the right word. As you as you age and you grow, that's just the physiology of that muscle, right? So, if the, really the, the way that you need to improve that is to improve the neural engagement, you need to improve uh, awareness and improve control of that muscle, and then you can work on strengthening it um, and make it increase more in size. Absolutely, I think that's you know, being in the fitness world. Um, you know, I love to play sports. You know, I've done powerlifting and Olympic lifting. And we see all these athletes that are, you know, really strong. They're lifting, you know, all, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And all of a sudden they get these, you know, random injuries, but, you know, really it's not so random, right? Cause they're just developing those motor pra- uh, programs that are just maybe compensating for something else. Right. And so when you're overdeveloping, you know, a muscle, 
again, that could lead to undercompensation somewhere else or under underutilization somewhere else. So um, that, I think that's really important to note that even though you, you're strong, even though you have big muscles, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have you know that strong neural connection to all the proper muscles or proper pathways. Um, so I was trying to explain that to uh, one of my clients who, you know, we've been working on certain issues and we related it back to her quad, right? And she has, you know, really big, strong quads. And she's like, what? Like, I never thought, you know, I had weak quads, but it's like, well, they're not weak by conventional standards. Like, you know, she may be able to squat a lot or leg press a lot, but you know, the quads, obviously there's, there's four, right? Different muscles, different fibers, different motor units. If some of those aren't activated and maybe let's say the rectus femoris is, is overcompensating for vastus lateralis or something like that, right? That could cause issues. So I think it's really important to know. Yeah. Yeah. Athletes are actually like the best compensators there. You will find the the craziest compensations with them because their demands are so intense, right? They need to create lots of force more than, you know, somebody like me or you in our daily lives need to need to create. So if something is a little off with their motor patterns, imagine how strong that compensation is going to become because they are using it in that way and they have to use it in that way. So you, you do, you totally see some, some interesting compensations and some, you know, severe compensations in athletes when you think like, oh, you know, they're in such good shape, they, they move all the time. Um, but that's not always, you know, moving efficiently might not always be their forte. Yeah, I think, you know, with athletes, it's kind of the, the double-edged sword, right? Where it's like, well, if you're getting paid, you know, millions of dollars, you know, that's the, that's the price they got to pay for for you know that superior performance or that elite performance it's you know they know that they're developing those those you know kind of imbalances like think about a pitcher or a quarterback you know or a tennis player right um yeah so but so that's a lot of information people listening might be like well what the heck how do i know if if i'm doing things right like you know how do i know if i'm compensating what are there any like at home, I mean, short of like coming to see you, coming to see me, seeing a professional, are there any like self, um, you know, like any screens you could do on yourself, like testing, um, let's say ankle mobility or anything like that? Like what are some like takeaways someone could, could, could do on their own and be like, all right, this is, this is what my mobility looks like. Um, maybe I should get checked out or I think I'm doing okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, right? That's the million dollar question. How how can we fix this stuff on our own? Um, first, you know, it's always going to be best to go get assessed, right? Go go somebody who knows what they're doing is going to you know do the job well. Uh, but I would say a cool way to kind of like screen yourself for some of these things is if you're interested in that kind of active versus passive range, uh, those limitations that could be there that, you know, you thought maybe you needed to stretch, but maybe not, you might not need to stretch and more of a stability issue is look at a movement or a movement pattern. And let's say like a squat, for example, and look at your range of motion in the squat. Like just check, check it out in the mirror, right? Do a squat. See how see how your joints are moving. See how much you know flexion you're getting at the knees. See how much hip you know flexion you're getting. Does your spine round or arch? Right. Look, like look at what the joints look like and how far you're able to get into the squat. 
and then put yourself in a position where there is less demand of gravity. So if you're doing a squat, right, you're standing, you're doing a squat, then get down to quadruped, meaning on your hands and your knees, and then rock back into a squat shape. And if you can hold, you know, that sort of perfect squat shape or like hold your joints in those positions into a what would look like a deeper range of motion if you're on your feet, you probably got some stability issues. But if you're doing your squat and it looks pretty much the same, you, you probably have some passive mobility things that stretching really would help with. Um, you know, another one is uh, like the toe touch. You could stand and do the toe touch standing. Then you could sit down and reach forward and try to touch your toes seated. That one can work both ways. That one could be you're really just looking for a change. For me, I feel way better standing toe touch. And then I go to the ground, try to toe touch, and I'm like, three or four inches shy of like what I was standing. But the, the difference there is there is a change, right? It got better or it got worse. You can do things like side bending, like standing side bending, um, and then getting down on, on your side and trying to press yourself off the floor in the same shape of the side bend. So if there are these discrepancies, when you change the demand of gravity, that's where your, your light bulb should go off and say, Hey, you know, I might have some, some active range of motion issues, some stability motor control issues versus, you know, that passive stuff where, you know, I thought I needed to stretch or, or well, passively you do, you do need to, to mobilize. Um, so I think that that's a cool way, you know, for your viewers to, to just start to get a feel for it. Um, but you know, it can be complicated. So if it's, you know, thinking like it's too much over your head, go, 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 go see Jules, go see me and see, you know, really, dissect and understand what's happening definitely that, that's awesome i think um that helps a lot because i think people sometimes don't know where to start right so like you mentioned going to see a professional um you know it's always it always helps just to get another set of eyes on you but um i think you know having those little tidbits that you can kind of um you know that can raise some of those flags sometimes it's good right to do some of that self-assessing um yeah, well, thank you again so much. Uh, I have one more question for you, and that's if you had a piece of advice that you could give yourself when you first started out in either your your journey as a, a professional or, you know, as an athlete, uh, what would that be? That is a great question. I would say to be, to be open-minded with the information, any information you hear. When I first started out, like I was saying, like I thought there was this perfect movement ideal. And that really held me back for a long time until much more recently that I started to like, like look at other people's viewpoints. And even if you don't agree with them, understand that there might be something there and just try to try to understand it from where they're coming from. So, you know, and really all these professions need to work together, right? And it's not a, I'm better than you or, or, you know, their, their technique is better at this. It's, it's like, it all should be this, this nice, um, you know, collaboration versus we're, you know, we're like isolating and have these very narrow, narrow mindsets. I'd say that in my career, um, has been the biggest help was honestly somewhat recently in the last year or so, year and a half. I started to really open my mind to these other concepts and, and that really, really helped my growth. That's all. I think, you know, that's great advice in general. Like, 
life advice, right? It doesn't matter if you're a professional, it doesn't matter if you're a student or a mom, right? Just being open-minded to different ideas and, and like you said, seeking understanding. I think that's what, that's what brings us together as humans. Yeah, that's what helps us grow. You know, I think when we're kind of set in our ways and really dogmatic, it kind of creates that barrier, right? Where you don't want to understand, right? So even if you, you don't necessarily resonate with someone else's viewpoint or story, you know, just trying to put yourself in their shoes, um, you know, only good can come from that, right? Because it can allow you to, to grow that connection. So um, that's awesome advice, especially in the, in the fitness industry where, you know, people are really motivated by, you know, other people's um, validation and, and by profit. So it can kind of skew uh what would be an otherwise good message. So, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, you know, it's great to always talk to you. You know, you have great things to share. Um, where can people find you? Uh, so my, my business is in Davis. It's called milestones movement, um, at two, seven, three, two fifth street. That's, uh, it's over, you know, Davis, it's kind of near the police station, but if you don't, uh, milestones underscore movement on Instagram, you can follow. I post lots of stuff. Like I mentioned some of the Instagrams I was posting recently, um, on the show, um, I have a Facebook milestones movement as well, or you can go to milestonesmovement.com and check out my website. So yeah. Thanks. For awesome, this. man. Well, thank you again, bro. Uh, I'll have to come out to your, to your spot, check it out. And, uh, hopefully we can catch up soon again. Sounds good, man. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you again. Take care. And that's it for today, guys. I hope you took a lot away from this episode. I know I learned a lot. Um, definitely, you know, Miles brought up a few different points that I had never thought about, um, a few different concepts that, you know, I didn't even know about. So um, feel free to, you know, re-listen to this if you need to. Feel free to reach out to Miles or reach out to me. Um, and again, you know, just having the mindset of moving better. Um, you know, most of my clients, you know, they want to increase their strength or, um, you know, weight loss goals, sports performance goals, whatever it is, they all have movement at the foundation. So we want to make sure that we're better movers, be more mindful movers. Um, and yeah, thanks again for listening. I appreciate the sport and stay tuned. I have a lot of great, great interviews coming up. Um, like I said, you know, I've been crazy busy studying for this exam, prepping for grad school, you know, trying to look for places to live, but you know, things are kind of calming down a little bit. So I'm going to try to bring that content out to you guys more consistently. But again, thanks for supporting. Um, and if you can share this, if you can, you know, spread the word, I would greatly appreciate it. You know, leave a review, whatever. So thanks again, guys. And I'll catch you next time.